Hey there, and welcome to the Craftish Podcast, episode 39. I'm Vicki Howell. Recently, I sat down with the godmother of craft activism as we know it in the modern day, Betsy Greer. She burst onto the scene with a word that, although she didn't make it up, she really made it popular called craftivism, which is really just the merging of crafty activism. And it, the whole philosophy behind it is the sort of not so radical notion that activists can be crafters and crafters can be activists. And so she wrote this manifesto and also books and really inspired a whole generation of crafters to use their craft to speak out against or for any cause or campaign. So we sat down and we talked a little bit about that. We talked about what she's working on now. She's got another lovely project. And we even spent a little time talking about the 10 years she's dedicated to uh, working on needlepoint pieces that are reproductions of anti-war graffiti in countries worldwide. She's a really interesting woman um, with a great story, and um, I'm really excited for you to meet her now. Betsy Greer, thank you so much for being on Craftish. Thanks for having me. I wanted to start with a topic that is actually kind of a common um, it's a common area of interest, especially, you know, uh, amongst people that come on this this podcast and also in a book that I wrote years ago called Craftcore, and that is um, the topic of art versus craft. Um, but for right. you, for you, I want to take it a, a step further. Um, and I want to start with a quote from Washington City Paper 2014, where you say, people feel really intimidated by art. It becomes art with a capital A. But crafting is something that anyone can do. So for you, I'd like you to talk a little bit to the dif- about the difference, if any, there is between craftivism and artivism. Sure, yeah. I mean, my experiences with art uh, were really negative growing up. Um, I took, like, painting classes, and it was just, I they just didn't feel right. Like, I don't know if I, I probably wasn't getting the right feedback. And then later on in college, I took one art class and had a professor that was incredibly rude. And, and then a few years later I found craft and it was like, everybody was super nice and, um, and open and willing to share. Whereas my experiences of knowing artists before that, a lot of artists, there was this kind of secrecy around their process or, um, and that doesn't mean all artists by any means. I have friends that are, that are artists and think they're wonderful, but I think there exists a subset, um, in art that can be very negative and very exclusionary. And, and so when I found craft, it was, I found it very open to me. And then later on and kind of researching it, I found that it was also very open to other people as well. There was no kind of, oh, you know, this teapot is bad because does it hold tea? That's what it's made for. Then it's fine. And so the utilitarian aspects of craft kind of um, made it so something doesn't necessarily have to be pretty to work. And I think that kind of works for craft in a way. It's been about 15 years since you coined the term craftivism, but if, if there are any listeners um, that may not know the term, would you mind mm-hmm. kind of filling us in? 
Sure. Well, actually, I didn't come up with the word, but uh, it, uh, somebody in my knitting circle did. I was sitting around and telling my friends about how I wanted to start researching craft and activism. And so, and one of them said, oh, you can call it craftivism. And I was like, sweet. Okay. Yeah. So I went home and Googled it and it had been online four times with the church of craft with a workshop. Oh my goodness. And I so, haven't thought about the church of craft in years. <laughs> right. They were so rad. And, and so, uh, I was like, wow, I could totally put this, you know, get a website and, and write about this. Cause it's it, at the time it seemed like nobody else was doing it. I'm sure they were, they just weren't using that word. So I saw an opportunity to, um, to kind of, start writing about a word and tracking it and seeing where it ends up. So craft is basically where, well, where craft and activism meet. And um, to put it in the most simple terms, it's, does your craft make the world a better place? And if it does, then you very well could be a craftivist. Well, we got to give props to your knitting circle, pal, but you, you are credited everywhere with at least know, making, yeah. you're, you're credited with making it a movement. And it's so, God, I, I, so Church of Craft um, was an organization, man, I don't know, 17 years ago, a long time ago. The only reason I know that is because I'd had my first baby and he's 17 now. And I remember <laughs> going to Church of Craft meetings with like my carrier in tow in my 20s. Right. And it was just sort of like a, a rogue group of like random crafters that would meet up in LA, at least the branch that I went to. And right. I don't even know... I guess we all connected just through, I think there was an article in Bust Magazine maybe, and there must have been a website or whatever, but really the whole foundation of that particular group was just the sort of community and spirituality of hand-making. Right. What, what about that, that? There seems to be a common sort of like ethos there, a common nugget there. What is it about hand-making that you think unifies people in a way that gives strength to any particular cause? Well, I think there um, is a lot of poignancy in the act of making something. So, um, because especially because we have the choice to pretty much buy anything we want. So, if you make something, say, we can talk about like the pussy hats of the, for the march in Washington, like it shows that you took time and care to make something. And in that instance, it actually kind of showed solidarity for some people and, and not for others. But, um, and so you can use that as the handmade aspect as a way to begin conversations because almost everybody has experience with maybe a grandmother knitting or something like that. So you can talk about the skill. That's, uh, and then you can talk about what you chose to make it out of. And then it also people ask questions as to why did you start making this? You know, why did you make something about war out of stitching? Or why did you, you know, make something out of, you know, climate change and put it on a pillow or whatever? And, and so it opens conversations, which... I, I didn't think about it at first at all, but then over time in doing work, realized that it was a way to create conversations and start difficult ones. You've said in the, in the same article I referenced earlier that craftivism is about opening a dialogue instead of closing it down. 
you've spoken a little bit about it just now, but will you talk a little bit about your own sort of, I guess, mental journey, I guess the realization, the pathway to your realization that there was great sort of power in the openness of people and of communication when they actually had craft in hand? Well, I think the genesis of that started just my very first experience knitting. I was living in New York and somebody at work knew of a knitting circle that met. So we went to someone's brownstone and there was a group of maybe like 15 women there and they were all different ages and they had, you know, some snacks and, uh, and then one person started us off and, and then maybe 10 minutes later, someone else came over and checked on us and told us what that, what the first person said wasn't yeah. right or was ever. And so during this, this one instance of being there for maybe two hours, we talked to a ton of people that were trying to, to show us. And we got to, there was a transfer of skill as well, which was really interesting. And we also talked amongst ourselves as we were making. So it was this kind of this mind blowing, like, wait, you know, like yeah. we're actually talking and no one seems self-conscious. And there, I remember, I remember there was somebody in the, in the kitchen that was talking about her divorce. And like, it was just, you know, these very, sometimes, you know, sometimes banal conversations, but sometimes um, very deep conversations over knitting because you're kind of paying, you're paying attention to what your hands are doing. And so the conversation kind of flows. Interesting. So it kind of takes the awkward. It's almost, it's almost like social smoking. I mean, obviously right. <laughs> not and better and don't smoke, but it's that same sort of like preoccupying one sense to heighten another. Right. And I found even, I mean, I started knitting for the, you know, to do that very thing. I just, I don't do well sitting still. So Mm -hmm. just watching TV or just having a conversation or just whatever is a little bit, it's so much better for me if I have my hands moving. But what I love that you're saying speaks to how it also opens sort of the channel in your brain that lets you be a little bit more open in general for whatever reason. And if we're open, then we can have conversations, especially about, you know, causes, whether they be political or medical or ethical, um, in a manner that we may not be open to if we weren't otherwise preoccupied. Right. Definitely. Were you, um, were your parents or are your parents activists? (laughs) No, (laughs) um, definitely not. So I grew up, um, in the American South in North Carolina and, Activism was seen as something that other people did. <laughs> I grew up in Charlotte, which uh, for a long time was seen as a very conservative banking town. So I can't remember any real protests as a kid, except one time when the KKK came in, there was a counter protest. So my growing up, I only apparently knew about one protest. Mm. <laughs> and so it wasn't, and that was something that, you know, my family wouldn't have, you know, they were against them, but they wouldn't have gone out and protested that the actual act is not something that, uh, that we do, so to speak. So, uh, so, and then I started thinking about my grandmother and how she knitted hats for the local hospital and began to see that as a form of activism because you're donating and you're, you're hoping the world, you know, is going to be a kinder, better place. 
And so that was where the first kind of bells went off of activism. You don't have to be loud. You don't have to be um, angry. You can do it in a different way. And I'm not saying there isn't a time and a place for loud activism, but for me, what felt most authentic was to do it in a quieter way, at least through making. I may talk a lot about it, but the act of making was kind of the first step. And and so activism <laughs> is something that I guess I've done now for over a decade, but uh, and I and it means different things to different people. And for me, it means um, quietly promoting change. So for you, there is a there is a blurred line, or maybe no line at all, between charitable acts and fighting for a particular or against a, a particular cause. They all kind of live together. I think you. I think you are. I mean, if you donate a um, a scarf that you made to a domestic violence shelter, are you are you're making a statement about that cause and that you support women or um, non-binary individuals that are affected by it. And, and I think that, that there is, yeah, I think there is a little blurring of it, which not everyone may agree with, but, uh, but in my opinion, um, they're of the same root. And You referenced um, in an article that if you could have, you know, a knitting circle, you, you named, you know, a bunch of people, but one of them was Kathleen Hanna from Bikini <laughs> Kill. Yeah. Uh, Kill. Um, and so I was wondering if, you know, if she was, you know, at the center of the Riot Girl um, movement in the 90s, late 80s, early 90s. Um, and I was wondering if, if that time period, Bikini Kill's music, just sort of the persona and that that is Kathleen, if any of that had even subliminal or subconscious um, influence for you and what you would eventually sort of create a movement around. Oh, definitely. Right Girl was, was huge for me. And, and then it was amazing that people were doing things that they were trying new things. They were, you know, making their own records and CDs and, and, you know, artwork for it and it was this very DIY thing that was very liberating to me as a kid and so I loved them but for me there was also a disconnect that it took me a while to kind of get over because I, I you know the the speaking out against you know injustice and the speaking out against things that maybe had happened to you or whatever and being open and honest and vulnerable really spoke to me but I thought that maybe I had to play music. You know, I didn't know of any other creative acts that I could do. So there were very there were a few years of me very ill-fatingly trying to get involved with music, which was a bad idea. I should just keep listening to it, not playing it personally. And and then when I found craft, it was like, oh, this is how I'm supposed to express myself. Yeah, it's funny. I just just this week had a conversation with a musician 
uh, for her podcast, and we were talking about music. Um, for me, it was like the SoCal punk scene when you know because that's where I grew up. And we were talking. It was it's it's so funny. Like that same conversation was that like I'm not a musician, but for me, like that very sort of essence, like the very just like the the at the granular level, that kind of philosophy and drive is very equivalent in the handmaking world and the music world. There's something, there's some kind of connection, some ebb and flow that maybe isn't tangible. But the more that I speak with people who are either musicians or artists or crafters, the more that I see how often they'll reference each other. Right. For sure. How did the word craftivism spread the way that it did so many years before social media was around? I don't know. Your guess is as good <laughs> as mine. I, uh, the only thing I could think of is that um, people needed an umbrella term for the kind of stuff that they were making. And so, and it was funny, I was thinking about, about this this morning about how I, I, um, I had a lot of years where I was like really depressed and and miserable and I just couldn't find my group and I found a lot of like wrong groups which I guess now could have been seen as like a sociology experiment for groups that I shouldn't have been hanging out with but I ended up kind of creating a room for a group to flourish and so which I thought was kind of crazy because it did it all of a sudden people were emailing me and they felt empowered by their craft and I think that, you know, it was probably something in the zeitgeist out, out there with uh, craft and activism. And I was just the one that happened to start writing about it. And so people were like, wow, I finally, you know, it's not just a hobby. It's not, you know, people say that, oh, it's just a hobby. It's not important. But they're like, wow, I can make steps towards change with my craft because it's not just the end process. It's the fact that when you make something, when you like for knitting, you start out with a, a stick, two sticks and string, basically, and you make something out of nothing. So you're actually kind of realizing that you are powerful in your own way. So it's the active agency that comes through the act of making and then the, the product at the end. That, so there are kind of two different changes that occur. And I think that, um, that can occur again and again when you make things. I think it also bears mentioning too, that what you did was DIY your own community. And that's yeah. something, that would, <laughs> but I mean, I think that's really important because I think a lot of, especially creative people deal with depression and deal with feelings of isolation and knowing that if you're a maker at heart, you actually have the ability to make whatever it is that you need, either, you know, esoterically or literally, and I think that you're you're an example of that. Thanks. Yeah, I didn't even put it together, and you know, until I was thinking about kind of like all the people that I hung out with that like weren't very good friends and weren't necessarily very positive, and um, and then I found my way into this amazingly positive community that is open and and wants to learn new things, wants to share things. Um, that's been really life affirming and, 
and has helped me a lot in kind of coming to terms with kind of, you know, who I am and growing up, I guess, because it was like, this is my place. I found it. It's here. And, um, was there a particular moment that that happened or was this just sort of like something that slowly seeped into your, it kind of slowly seeped in because, and then like social media, when it became a thing, I was like, wait a minute, there really are people that are writing about this from all over the world. Cause you, you know, because not everyone that writes about it, like contacts me or whatever, of course that's perfectly fine. But then I would like, Oh my gosh, there was, there's this article and this and, uh, and that's been super cool because it's, because again, it's given people kind of a sense of empowerment behind their craft, which, um, has been really nice. <laughs> you think it's, it's easier or harder now with social media to reach the core? Be, because I, I ask that because it, it's amazing that, you know, we've spoken about three different groups we've never met before, and both of us either knew or were a part of them. Which me and probably because there was so little information on the internet where you could find it, you went straight to it. Versus now we're inundated with like gorgeous images and then events and I mean at every second of the day that you almost can't you can grasp you grasp onto one while others fall through your fingers. And I always go back and forth about whether or not it's easier to get your message out now. Um I think it depends on what your end goal is. I've, um, I've kind of read, you know, my goal, like when I started this in 2003 and created a website, which is still super tiny, there was never any kind of like, this is going to go viral because no one knew what that meant. If you said that this was going to go viral, someone may, may probably would say that, you know, what kind of scary disease you have. That was the, you know, do you have, that was the only reference point for viral. So it was always about finding other people kind of in the small sense, maybe like a handful of people. And now I kind of feel that way too, even though I'm speaking to kind of a larger audience, I want to connect with people on a one-on-one basis, a one-on-one basis at, at, at the same, you know, kind of, I guess so I don't think about connecting with a lot of people at once. I connect, I think about connecting with a smaller group of people one-on-one. And uh, so I don't know if that really answers the question. <laughs> How, um, when was it that you realized that this was going to be your thing, that craftivism was was going to be, I don't want to say your life's work, but it's definitely <laughs> been your decade's work? Right. Was there, was there a particular event or moment that it happened? Um, or Probably probably oh sorry probably coming out with my second book because it's called craftivism i was like yep this is gonna be my thing now i mean it was my thing for many years before but i was like i there's no turning back now so uh even though that book a lot of other craftivists from around the world um you know i wouldn't have been able to i didn't definitely write that book alone i wrote very little of it so um but kind of saying you know, this is a movement and I'm going to write a book about it. After that, I was like, yep, I'm going to own it <laughs> more so than I have before um, because it's fun to connect with people um, about shared interests. And so this has brought an amazing group of people into my life and I'm thankful for it. You have, you now speak 
around the world about craftivism. What, what is the message that you hope that people take away from one of your lectures? Probably that that just the act of making is powerful, and and it's personally powerful, and it's powerful for the world to see. Especially, a lot of people thought that you know when we all first started knitting and crafting in like the early two thousands, everyone was like, "What are you doing? This is weird." And then now it's become something that is has been popular for years now, and and so just to see the, the, the power in that and the fact that you're creating something kind of out of nothing in many instances. And that means that you are powerful. And that means the final product is powerful because it shows that you spent all that time working on it. And I guess those are two, probably the, the, the two core things that are important for me to get across, which I hopefully do. <laughs> How do you choose your projects or what you're going to get, what you're going um, to be a craftivist about? Well, I've only had two main projects of my own. And one of them, the first one started because Kat Mazza had this program and uh, called Knit Pro where you could change or you could take an image and make it into um, stitches. And so I took this Banksy image and um, that was a girl hooking a bomb and, and uh, she had an art show. And so I online and I entered that image and I thought a lot about war while I was making it. And the war was ramping up. This is in like 2004. It had already been going on for a while. So I, and I explored my feelings of, about war for about 10 years and then, and, and which kind of ebbed and flowed and people I knew were involved in, and some of the wars, and it was a way of processing that. So that's how that came. That was something I needed to do. And the most current project, You Are So Very Beautiful, came about because there were certain things that I needed to hear. And I, I had this program called Five Minute Journal. It's a really helpful app. And every day it asks you a couple things and in the morning, and you have to come up with an affirmation. And I realized that every single day, I had a hard time coming up with something, just one word about myself that was good. Huh. And then I was like, huh, this is really hard for me. And then I thought, okay, I need to hear these messages so that I'm going to stitch them. And then I'm like, well, you're never alone when you say that you're, you think you're alone in something. So why not put these messages out into the world? So, and let people find them that also need to hear the messages. So in between those two projects, there was definitely like a year where I did nothing. I mean, or I didn't have a project. I, did, I still made craft items. And I, maybe I was like, well, I'm never going to have anything again. And then one just kind of materialized. Um, so they're definitely very personal through what I'm going through. Um, I don't know if that's that's the best way of doing it. I love that your arc arc was going from war to love, though. Your two causes have been love and war. Yes. That's pretty amazing. (laughs) Did did Banksy, uh, just as a side note, Banksy is um, an infamous graffiti artist, probably the most famous one in the mainstream world, at least. Um, Did he he ever see your, your stitched work? Well, mine is so tiny. I'm sure that I am a... I'm sure that so many people make other works of his that would have been really cool i don't know what he would have said but um yeah i was really fascinated with graffiti and the act of owning it like who owns it yeah does the the public own it does the artist own it does the building owner own it 
So I explored some several different themes, but War was the main one. So yeah, I doubt he saw it, but that would have been cool. <laughs> yeah. Where um let's go back to the let's let's move on to the positive, the love side. Where sure. can people find your your messages and how can they pay it forward? Well, um, if you go to craftivism.com um, and then do, you know, a little slash or whatever, and then why, uh, well, you can go to You Are So Very Beautiful or Y-A-S-B-B, which is the first letters of each of those words, and it'll explain kind of how you can get involved. In, and one of the ways you can get involved is making your own stitch signs and then leaving them out for people. And then I've done a couple drops where I've created or I've collected, you know, dozens of signs and then I'll place them around one one city or one neighborhood at once with people, which has been really great. And you can get your friends involved or you can just stitch something that um, that you think is nice. People were stitching, you know, you were so very kind, you were amazing, you were worth it, you were loved, all these really kind things. And, and then put it out, um, for someone to find and then tag it with YASBB on, um, on the back. So they, if they find you, um, that may show up again on Instagram, which it has in a couple of instances. And the cool thing about this is that when you stitch affirmations, you, people generally report back to me that they feel better and it makes them feel good. So it, so they're physically putting something positive out into the world. Right. So they're, so I thought it was just me. So I kind of didn't really say anything about it. And then I kept seeing on people's posts going, this made me feel so great. This is wonderful. And, uh, so apparently it's not just me. So that's how you can get involved. That's so interesting too, because, um, you know, obviously it's, you know, everybody knows that you're going to feel better if you're kinder, you know, and you're putting that out. If you're, I mean, if you say nice things, you feel better than if you say something terrible. You know, we've all had that experience, that thing when something came out of our mouths that shouldn't have, and then you just feel right. awful, like just icky for a lack of a better term. But conversely, when you say something and you see somebody's face light up, it does affect you. But but to go a step further, when you physically are putting something positive, like making something and placing it somewhere, or it's it's interesting that 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 there would be effects, and maybe even to a greater level from that. Yeah, who knows how far it can spread? But uh, <laughs> but it definitely, um, and that's kind of the fun part of doing this project is you put it out there and you don't know who's going to find it. You don't know what kind of day they're having. Um, you, you don't know if you're ever going to see it on Instagram again. You're kind of just putting it out there and and hoping that whoever needs it comes across it. And you and uh, sometimes that actually happens. Sometimes if it's a very windy day, they will blow away. So you may need to tuck them into under under sturdy surfaces. But um, in general, you. Uh, but can you imagine if somebody was just walking and something like because of the wind it like hit them like and like you know like maybe somebody needs that message to straight up hit them in the your face or whatever. I need this so bad that it hit me in the face. I mean, yeah. it, could, it could happen, right? And that would be awesome. It'd be like the universe is like really telling you, like, dude, you need to be kinder to yourself. Yeah, yeah. How, if at all, I know you've had these big projects, but how? 
if at all, are you using craftivism in your own life, maybe in small ways, not huge, ginormous projects, but to pay homage or do your part for other causes that you care about? Right now, of this project, I've been pretty selfish, to be perfectly honest. Um, I haven't been very good about doing other projects. So because I've been answering a lot of emails and doing projects <laughs> about this project. So I don't know. I'm going to have to, I need to come up with something. So thanks for reminding me that, uh, that it's, it's, you know, I've I actually, well, I am making a blanket right now for project Linus. Yeah. So doing that. So. But, it, but I mean, it can even be smaller things, you know, making a hat for a friend that has chemo or, you know, a, a blanket for somebody in your own family that's going through a hard time or whatever. I don't think right. it has to be something like, as you said, activism can be quiet and small. Definitely. And I think that there's also the, um, you know, the the idea of making something for yourself that makes you happy too. And um, I've been taking doing a project for myself that's just taking a picture every day of something that viscerally gives me joy. And, and that's been really good as well. And I'm, and I guess I want to remind people that you, my word for 2017 is nourish because I think that we need to be able to nourish ourselves before we can nourish other people. Yeah. And yeah. My mom says she calls that filling the well. Oh, yes. That you can't, no, good. You, know, you can't offer a drink to somebody if your well is empty. So I think we need to remember that yeah, giving to ourselves is important too. Wait, are we supposed to pick a word every year? I don't know. I I, <laughs> I, I guess I saw it on social media. Somebody I had picked it. a word, I mean, I and love I was that. like, oh, I love it because um, my my word for last year was open, and so it became this kind of like meditation almost of like if I was having a bad day or not sure where I was going, I just came back to that word as um, a touchstone. And do you feel like the result of a year of focusing on that one word of, you know, being open that it, you, the end result was an openness? I think I probably inched the, uh, the door open a little more, uh, in, in life, uh, on some things and, but there's always room for more. I probably could give a whole decade on that, on, on some of these words <laughs> more, much more than just a year because there's so many, you can always go more and do more. Yeah. I want to end today on community, something that you have definitely nourished um, throughout your career. But starting with um, when you wrote your master's dissertation, you wrote it on community and knitting and DIY culture. And I wondered if you'd seen any change in either the breadth of the community or how we all communicate with each other or just the power of the crafting community over the span of your career since you gave that dissertation. Well, I think that social media has definitely helped and, and it's kind of created this, like the craft bubble, you know, where like, um, everybody is friendly. I think I've actually, I think I did run into one jerk in my course of over 13 years because I was like, that person knits and is a super jerk. And I was so <laughs> surprised. He? <laughs> exactly. I was so surprised that this one person was a jerk and and so, and also I, um, and then for a while I was like, 
oh, this person answered a sentence with a period and not an exclamation point. They must hate me, you know, or whatever, because like everybody in the craft world ends everything with like exclamation points. So point. many exclamation yeah. points I know. <laughs> yeah. I ever, I ever use them. I use them all the time because, you know. I found I, I use you. emoji in place of all those exclamation points now. <laughs> like if I can have like a unicorn emoji and some like glory hands, then I, right. then I'll only need one exclamation point instead of four. Yeah. I think that everybody has been really supportive of each other. And um, I think that that definitely happens in the art world, art with a capital A too. Right. Right. Um, and, and there needs to be more of that, but um, I don't think it's as open with the support necessarily as craft is. And maybe that, that comes back to the fact that craft was taught, you know, intergenerationally, you know, from, um, from person to person. So it was this very open process of learning and trying different things. And, and so maybe it's very nature is open. Yeah. And so that, I guess I just have seen all the support, um, just keep, you know, keep getting stronger and stronger as the years go by. And I, I love seeing crafters raise each other up (laughs) And, and be supportive, you know, if they're doing things that are similar with somebody else, because we all need that. And it feels good to do that, too. Yeah, rising tide and all of that. Definitely. Well, Betsy, I am holding up a fist of solidarity. <laughs> Me too. And all craftivism. Um, thank you so much for coming on and talk to, talking to us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. For more information on Betsy Greer, Craftivism, and her You Are So Very Beautiful project, go to her show notes page at vickihowell.com slash craftish. If you liked this episode or any of the episodes that you've heard so far, please tell a friend. Word of mouth is everything when it comes to podcasts. And keep in mind that you might have to tell those friends how you actually find podcasts. So let them know about iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, the little app on their mobile phones, on their uh, smartphones where podcasts are easily accessible and make sure that you also click subscribe so you never miss an episode. Craftish is a Camp Bell production. It's produced in Austin, Texas by me and mixed and edited by Dave Campbell. Music is provided by Explosions in the Sky. On the next episode of Craftish, I'll be joined by Yarn Thing podcast host, my friend and Red Heart's yarn spokesperson, Marley Bird. That'll go live on Thursday. Until then, though, Treat yourself to a little creative time, breathe in, craft out.